and it's a fort, and the Spaniards had it enclosed. And there's an Indian named Pipila, and he carries a limestone on his back so that they won't hit him from the top, and he lights the door on fire. And, and that's the beginning of the, of the country, and that it started with a limestone. print friends, and welcome. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. This is a bilingual podcast, so if you subscribe to us, you'll be getting episodes in English with me, as well as in Spanish with Ronaldo Hilsenbrano. Together, we speak to people from around the globe about their practice and passions in the field of print media and multiples. Hello, Print Friend is brought to you by Speedball Art Products, who've been offering a diverse range of high-quality products to your practice since 1997. If you are looking to add some pizzazz to your practice, check out their new line of additive glitter. Add a sprinkle of their additive glitter to any Speedball fabric screen printing ink to bring a touch of shimmer to your next design. This glitter additive can be used in nearly any ratio, whether your sparkling vision is more subtle or dripping with scintillating shine. Check out the link in the show notes. My guest this week is Jesus De La Rosa. We talk about his early art influences, like seeing hand-painted film advertisements outside the movie theater next to his mother's shop, how he almost joined the priesthood, and his incredible dedication to teaching and his students. Jesus is someone who many past guests have mentioned as a friend or influence on their practice. I'm thrilled to finally share this conversation with you. So without further ado, sit back. Relax and prepare to finally have a chat with Jesus De La Rosa. Hi, Jesus. How's it going? Hello. How are you, Miranda? I'm really good. I'm really good. I'm really excited to speak with you. I feel like in the canon of Hello Print Friend Conversations, your name has come up several times, if not many times, by different artists who you've worked with or who you inspired. And so I'm just really excited that we've got you yourself on today to have a chat about your work. So thank you for taking the time to join me. No, thank you. It's an honor and a privilege to be on the podcast and to be invited to have a chat with you today. Wonderful. Well, before we get into it, would you please let people know who you are, where you are, what you do. I'm Jesus de la Rosa. I'm in South Texas, in Kingsville, Texas, and I'm a visual artist and I'm an art professor. Wonderful. And then where did you grow up and what role did art play in that part of your life? I'm originally from the Rio Grande Valley. I was born in West Laco, Texas, and I grew up on both sides of the border because my parents worked in in Mexico and 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 we lived in the United States so I went to school in the United States and I sort of lived my sort of after school life and weekends in the town of uh, Nuevo Progreso Mexico that's where you know so I jumped around from both places and did you see art or the presence of art change between the two countries that you were growing up in did or was one have like a, a stronger impression on your childhood memories? Uh, you know, I think it's it's been equal, mm-hmm. uh, pretty equal. 
I think it's just been kind of like several stages. It hasn't been like one thing, but it's been like several, several life change, life changing events that sort of directed me towards a career in the arts mm-hmm. and, uh, and even in printmaking, because I wasn't planning to be a, a printmaker uh-huh. in undergrad. I was actually a ceramist. You know, I was, I did a lot of ceramics. And I got introduced to printmaking kind of late, kind of late in in undergrad. But it, it was from the very beginning. I grew up with um, my mom was a a seamstress, so she had a wedding shop, and she was always working on designing dresses for quinceañeras, for weddings, square dance dresses. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was it wasn't always like she was always putting things together from different parts and sort of making her own designs. So she was drawing, she was working with materials, with textiles, with fabric. And so she was a very creative person. And I sort of think that that just like influenced me a lot, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and I could almost maybe see even to play the tape way forward into your, your professional practice, the, the combination of, of images and iconography and that kind of, as you say, like designing and borrowing and that sort of thing. I could almost see that in, in what you do now. Yeah, yeah. She, she was working with a lot of, a lot of lace fabric. And I mean, just, she's a entrepreneur. She very good salesperson, which I mm-hmm. didn't inherit. I mean, she can sell you the clothes that you're wearing. <laughs> yeah. And, and on my dad's side, my dad wanted to be an architect. So, mm-hmm. and, but he didn't have those opportunities. Both of them are, have very minimal education. They both went to sixth grade uh, and then they started working. My dad started working in the farm, not too far from Progresso. And it was really rural, really like poverty stricken, mud houses, mud floors, and unpaved streets. So it was like a juxtaposition. And then you jump into like Progresso, which is like eight blocks, but it's as urban as you can imagine, you mm. know, you can find anything there, you know? And so it was a real, that also influenced me, that, that juxtaposition of going from like extreme poverty and then to urban, some kind of an urban space and then jumping into, into the United States, which was also very different. Because mm-hmm. you're dealing with with Americana and like rock and roll, and you're being influenced by other by other things. Yeah. And so, when you were growing up, were you a particularly artistic kid? Were you drawing all the time? Were you being taken to museums? What's that early making and art exposure from outside the home look like? My mom, her store. We were living in her store. Mm-hmm. In the back, which was just a wall. And then next to her store was a movie theater. This movie theater showed all kinds of films. I mean, all kinds of films. And they would, somebody would paint a poster, hand-painted poster. Oh, beautiful. For, the, for each feature film, right? And and I would look at that poster and I was like, oh, man, that looks, that looks terrible. I think I could do better than that. <laughs> And I would look at the back of it, too, because it was on a canvas. It was just hanging outside. 
I was like, man, the bag looks great. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I wish I would have asked for them or kept them or had the insight to like keep the posters or because I knew I knew the the owners fairly well. I, I spent most of my time looking at these movies from El Santo, Blue Demon, Fights the Mummies of Guanajuato to Robocop and Arnold Schwarzenegger films. And so I think that had an impact as well. Mm-hmm. I didn't know, you know, it's, you know, and I was surprised I didn't go into sort of filmmaking because I saw a lot of films growing up in that sense. And, and music too, because they would play music. They had a speaker and before their shows, they're playing all these cumbias and listening to the latest cumbia that's in, that's popular at the time. And that was the, the media that, that, that's influencing you at that time, because, you know, there's no phone, there's no internet. That's what you're getting. And on the other side, on the American side, it's like, we get our first rock and roll station. Oh, uh-huh. And, and I'm listening to like Led Zeppelin for the first time and, and, or Rush for the first time. And I'm just like, what is this, you know? And, and then I'm listening to like, Tigre is a Norte on the other side. And vice versa, right? So I'm growing up with all the with all this information. That so the rock and roll is sort of late, and it's it, it's coming in. But yeah, just the juxtaposition of all these things, of all these cultures. Yeah, I mean that sounds like such a an incredibly rich landscape of a childhood of, of having all these different influences coming together, and so. Who was doing, do you know, just curious, who was doing the posters? Was it somebody who worked at the movie theater or was it a a local artist? Where were they coming from? Or did they just kind of seem to drop out of the sky to a young Jesus? I never never found out who who was working on those. And the the other part of of it was like, so, so it was that. And then it was like being an altar boy in the local Catholic church. And that had a, that was, so that was one stage, right? The theater. And then going into like, I grew up Catholic, really religious, going to church every single day. That's where my mom wanted to be. And said, you're going to be an altar boy. Mm. And there was a priest there. His name was uh, Father Alfredo. And he was really like dramatic. Mm. Everything. So I remember like, he was like, hey, we're going to, we have the Christmas play. You're going to help with all the props. You have take the church and make it into this big backdrop for a theater production. And I'm talking lights, sound system, painting. So that was like a big influence. And he also ordered, or not ordered, but he, he got an artist from Monterrey, Mexico to paint some murals in the church. And, and they were real. They were like, and he would sit down in this particular room and say, look, this is the history of Progresso. And there was like prostitutes. Oh, wow. This is how it started. Yeah. You know, this is a symbol for prostitution. And this is, and they were really dramatic murals. They're they're still there. And that was a big influence. And I, and I, I didn't want him to, to know that I could draw because Hmm. he was going to ask me to do even more than what I was doing. But eventually he found out. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was like, okay, you're painting, you're repairing this statue or you're painting this painting. Uh, 
And then, so it was like growing up like that with religious art, looking at religious mm. art. And, and that went on all the way to, I was like almost 17, you know, I was like, I stopped being an altar boy at like 15 and then, but I still helped in the church. And then, and then at, at one point I was thinking of going into the priesthood. Oh, really? So he's like, well, let's go to Italy, look at the Let's look at the seminary and see what you think about it. So spent some time in Italy. I was at the seminary and we went into St. Peter's and we had a, in front of the, <laughs> in front of the Madonna and we had a huge fight. Right? Oh, really? <laughs> <It's> just, oh. <laughs> we just had it out like years of just being frustrated with each other. Uh, I think more so was me. And, and then I visited the seminary and I really didn't find any, like there was community, but there was a lot of segregation as mm -hmm. well. And I was looking for that. So some sort of community and I didn't find it there. And, and, it, and it's funny because I, 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 I do find that in printmakers with printmaking, Yeah, you know, and, and, and it's just, that was one step where, where I found the, the printmaking community was like, you're accepted here. Yeah. How old were you when you went on that trip to Italy? I think this was like 20, maybe like 2021. 20, okay. It yeah. Was, it was a while back. It was a while back. Yeah. And so was this, was this before going to art school or, or after? No, I had, I had throughout the, I had already, I had just graduated from my BFA and I was looking for something to do. There was really, I mean, just get out and mm -hmm. um, I did like one semester of silkscreen and then I ended up like working for a t-shirt shop, you know? Mm -hmm. So this was, I was working for a t-shirt shop and then, and then also in contact with Father Alfredo because he was going all over the country as well. So, and then he invited me to, to go on this trip and that's how it sort of happened. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, it makes me wonder when, when you were doing your BFA, was the work at all religious? I mean, were you considering that you were, you were thinking about this incredible commitment that the priesthood would have been, was your spiritual side something that you were exploring during your BFA or was that just something you kind of kept separate from artistic experience at that point? Yeah, no, I've always, I've kept that separate, you know? Yeah. It was something that it was more either it was a commission or it was a. We're still friends, by the way, Father. Oh, Father. good. You you didn't you didn't have to. <laughs> it was like go you know, your separate ways in front of the Virgin. Yeah. <laughs> it was something like, hey, can you help me with this? Sure, you know. Mm -hmm. And it was really weird for me because people would like cry in front of these and like proclaim that you know they did miracles, and I was just like, that's paint. <laughs> I know I did it. I painted. I was like, okay, but then again, you have to give people their 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 space as well. You know, mm -hmm. whatever they believe in, whatever helps them through this through this journey. You know, yeah, so, yeah. People uh, will if they if they saw what they needed to see that day, like that's what matters. Yeah, yeah. right. Mm -hmm. so if you and and you don't have to tell them like, hey, I, you know, I painted that. You know, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it yeah. was, yeah, but it was, it's, yeah, I've always kept it separate and I've always not really, 
shown it. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, and, and I'm not sure why, you know, mm-hmm. but it's something that like, I think it's more because if it's, if it's a request or something that I'm doing to help versus when I'm just doing work for myself, which is, I think a different feeling. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and so you said that you had done a little bit of printmaking in your BFA. What, at what point did you decide you were going to do an MFA and go to the Ohio State University and move, move out of Texas, move away from family, I would assume as well, and, and kind of make that big leap? Not quite the priesthood, but, you know, a, a big commitment and a big change in your life. Yeah, it was well. There's there's several several things too. Like so, I I graduated. I didn't have a job. I ended up just applying everywhere, peop- and couldn't get any sort of job. I didn't have the experience, or had too little experience. Right. Or, or they would tell me, well, I I kept losing jobs to people with three or four years experience. Right. You know, and so I end up at this t-shirt shop and doing silkscreen and printing t-shirts and printing on anything you can imagine doing like 5,000 runs a day. And it was very commercial, very commercial. But at the same time, I was like, why didn't I learn this in, hmm. in my undergrad? And why can't we take those, these commercial aspects and apply them to, to, to that space, to the fine arts. <clears throat> and at the same time I was doing like photography classes at, at the local community college and and some graphic design classes as well. So then the graphic designer leaves there at the t-shirt shop. And then I started doing both things. And, you know, and I was like, well, started to build a portfolio. And I ended, eventually I ended up at the University of Texas Pan American in Edinburgh as a graphic designer. Oh, yeah. You know, so I worked there for about three years and... I ended up as a publications production manager. It was something that graphic design was something that was like really like something that for me, at least it's like you go from point A to point B, you have a product and that's the end of it. Right. So it was easy. It was something that I could pay the bills with and it was as close as I could get to being creative. And at the, at the same time, I was actually attending the MFA program at the university Mm. So, and I, I opened up a gallery as well. Mm-hmm. At that time I opened up a gallery in Progresso next to my mom's shop and to sort of create some sort of connection with artists in Mexico, artists in the United States. Yeah. And, and so was it like movie theater, your mom as a seamstress and then the gallery? The movie theater had, had by that time it had, it had been gone. You know? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So there was, uh, yeah, there's no movies over there, which is really sad, I think. But yeah, it was like my mom's shop. She's doing, working on wedding dresses. And then there's a wall. And then on the other side is the gallery. Yeah. Which, which I could run. I was single. I was, I was, had a full-time job. That was like what I was doing on the weekends. And at night I was going to the studio after, after working, painting. So I was organizing exhibitions, getting to meet people and creating some sort of community and opportunity for the artists down here. And mm-hmm. that, this is all like pre like social media, like where well, I'm still like sending emails to people and, and actual postcards. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. And that was in 20, 2001. Is that correct? Yeah, correct. Yeah. Okay. Then, yeah. So then at, at, at Pan American, I meet a professor, printmaker, Leonard Brown. And, and I'm, I'm there for a year and he tells me, Hey, you can get, you should go to Ohio state. They offer a fellowship, which is in a, a waiver tuition waiver. And mm. I was like, no, there's no way. I mean, <laughs> so he was like, the, the, you know, that next step where it was like, okay, you can do this. He's the one that believed in me, believed in, my, in the work that I was doing. And, and so I applied and I went and, and at that time I've never been out of Texas. I never seen snow. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to get out of the state. I live somewhere else. And, and I ended up working with Charles Massey at Ohio State, Steve Pentak, and, and Fioris West. You know, those were like my member, the people that I mostly work with. So, and I just, I just had a blast up there. So just being in that program and meeting all these artists. And do you think that that's where you found that community that you were looking for? Or do you think you sort of discovered it a little bit before that along the way with like the creation of the gallery and of course your undergraduate experience? Yeah, I, I think, well, the gallery was, well, was one thing. I think being a gallerist, like uh, I was listening to your last podcast and you all were talking about being gatekeepers as the gallery, mm-hmm. being a gatekeeper. And I, there was that aspect of it that I didn't like, or I got like artists that were like, oh, you're showing him. I'm not showing with you. Oh, or, uh-huh. or me next to that person. You know, why are you showing this person? You know, it was just really like everybody's your friend. Everybody wants to be your friend. Everybody. And at the same time, there was a lot of those situations, which I, which, which, which really was like, okay, this is not what I expected. But with printmaking is the total opposite. I think everybody's, everybody's willing to give you information. Everybody's willing to to invite you somewhere to share just there's a there's a sense of of just somebody else sharing information so that you can they can do better or do something right. better, yeah you know? and i really find that something that that's really close to to the spirituality of of being a i guess like a printmaking brother you know uh-huh. yeah the brotherhood of printmaking yeah <laughs> Print manito, hermanita, print hermanito, print manito. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so it's like, I, I really find that 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 really exists in the printmaking community. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so after graduate school, what came next for you? Well, it's, I didn't, I, again, I didn't have a job. I, I took a trip. I went to see Donald Judd and Marfa. All his oh, work, really? Right after... And uh, I've never been. And then so we looked at everything and uh, we got there and everything was closed. So, <laughs> so we're, we're just looking through the window and uh, we realized, uh, you know, it was uh, myself and two other uh, of my graduate uh, cohort uh, members. And we realized, I was like, hey, whatever we're, gotta, whatever we're doing, we have a lot of work are ahead of us. Uh-huh. So, yeah, you're right. We have a lot of work ahead of us. And so I, I, I came back home and I, I wanted to, I, I wanted to teach. That's what I wanted to do. I felt that I could teach. I felt that I could help the people of South Texas, maybe reach their goal in terms of having an artistic career. And I felt there was a, there's a lot of need down here because we lack a lot of resources that are, sort of not 
not given to this area historically. And so I started working, I was applying for teaching jobs and, you know, I would get, again, the same thing. I would get interviews, not, they wouldn't go through. So I, I was working as a graphic designer for a community college and teaching part-time uh, and then teaching actually graphic design and running the gallery. Mm. So at the same time, I got married. I, I met my wife down here. So I got married and then I applied to a show here at the, the current university where I'm in at Texas A&M and uh, Kingsville and, and the professor, which is because I went here for undergrad, my former yeah. professor, hey, hey, Jess, you have printmaking hours, you know, would you like to apply for this job? But I never was, it never was my idea to re- kind of like, I, I was like, well, I want to see where I can land somewhere else, you know? And so I was, yeah, I'll give it a shot. You know, and so I got the job and I said, well, I'll give it three years and see what happens. And I'm still here uh-huh. <laughs> here. And, and it's been a blur. I mean, it's been an absolute blur from 2008 till now. Just like it felt like it was yesterday that I was here. Yeah, absolutely. And then like Kingsville, it's, it's pretty far south in Texas. It's kind of close to, to Corpus, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. And 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 have you found that in that time, that even though it's been a bit of a blur, that you found that you have actually been able to meet some of those goals that you started out with, that you felt like you've been able to give back, bring some resources, bring some attention, bring some opportunities to a part of the country that is overlooked and under-resourced? Yeah, I, I, that's, that, that's what keeps me here. You know? mm-hmm. yeah. And that's what you're, really what keeps me teaching. Because these students are first-generation students. 90% are from Mexican descent. They, they live out in very rural community, conservative. Mm-hmm. The idea here is that you go to school and then you get a job in the oil field or, or something else that's, that's going to put money in your pocket and food on the table. So that's very important. And that's good. But then we have other students, a small group of students that are, are very creative, very talented. And they don't have an outlet. Mm-hmm. And we're sort of the outpost for that. Okay. So, and we sort of holding the flag for that, for to give them that opportunity. So there's been several, several students that have been very successful. I mean, one of them is, is Omar Gonzalez, who is now, oh, yeah. you know, teaching, he's teaching here and I've been able to move to painting and he's teaching printmaking now. Yeah. I've had others that have gone to grad school. And, and many other students that are teaching or they open up their own graphic design companies and they have success as, as artists because we're also told, like, what are you going to do with that? You mm-hmm. know, I think in, mm-hmm. in our culture in Mexico, it's like, no, do not do that. And it's not seen as, as something that you're going to live off of. Right. And I to tell the parents, tell the students, there are many, many, many opportunities not necessarily <clears throat> like you're going to be an artist and you're going to live off your paintings or your work, but there's so many other, you can go into museum studies, teaching, totally any other, any other areas, many, many other areas. And so I, I, uh, I, I just, I, I strive for that and, and, and I have a passion for that and to help, to help people, to help these students succeed. So, and, and we've been really fortunate, like we're, we're kind of in the middle of a rural area, but then we got Corpus, the Valley, San Antonio, and Ryan O'Malley is real close in Corpus, and 
know, he's always been so generous, him and, and Cassie, with anything that they're doing. They're always inviting our students, inviting us for exhibitions, and just really open the doors for for working with them. You know, we've done things together. And so that's been great. You know, yeah. That's yeah. Been, it's something that I think is rare with universities. Sometimes I think that in other programs, you, you see other programs as, as competition. And I feel like specifically in printmaking, it's never been that way, I think, mm-hmm. you know, any other program. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I definitely got to go down to Corpus for the first time for the Oso Bay Biennial. It was really neat to see the way that people kind of gathered there and and it's the community building that happens within the print world is is so wonderful and so real and i think as you've said a lot of the reason why people come and and keep coming back yeah mm-hmm. do you still have the the gallery the buildings there my my uncle actually has a restaurant in the bottom but the buildings there it's I thought about opening it up or maybe doing a show once a year or something like that, but it's the, the border situation has gotten so difficult at that time back uh, when I was running it early on. I mean, I would just, I mean, I had a truckload full of artwork and they would just let me through mm-hmm. and there was no problem coming back and going back and forth with artwork. But it's been really slowly been militarized and and it's just very discouraging. So and so at this point, I think I, I mean, that's very tempting, that idea. And I also but I also have a lot of work to do here. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have I mean, I have two kids, my wife and then my mother-in-law lives with us. So we she has dementia. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm part time caretaker for her. And so that takes a lot of my time. So I'm always kind of like trying to see where I can fit my studio time. So it's divided. I have a studio at home. I do a lot of drawings in my office. And then I work on digital illustrations with Illustrator and Photoshop. So, so yeah, the, the gallery space is there, but it's, man, it's, it's tempting though. <laughs> so tempting. I bet, I bet. But yeah. At, at that time, I mean, you sort of start like, I was sort of naive. And I think we have to have courage, but I think that that kind of goes hand in hand. You have to be a little bit naive to have courage to do that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, and, as you said, like you were at a different time in your life. You were yeah. single, you you know, and you know, I can I can speak to you firsthand. You know, the, the difference in just like expendable energy units that yes. you have in your mid twenties as opposed to your mid thirties or late thirties. It's really different. It very, very much so. I mean, it's like 47 feels really different than 37, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's just like, well, I really sort of pick my battles. What do I really want to do? What do I really want to concentrate in? You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. And it sounds like if the, if the building's still there, if it, comes back to you then it's meant to be you know if that opportunity opens up again to do something it's not going anywhere yeah it's a good way to see it i I mean i i i kind of like work with i take care of the gallery here at the university so that's also something that besides teaching that's something that i do i coordinate the gallery exhibitions you know so it's i'm i have a lot on my plate that i'm doing so i rather okay let's get a good show going here Uh, yeah and, and that's important because 
I mean, even though we have like, you know, corpus close by, we have museums and they have a sort of like an art walk. I mean, it's close, but it's not close. It's not like you can just, oh, let's take the bus downtown yeah. or the museum and have a have a critique. It's nothing like that. So I really have to plan like who 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 comes here and when and and then also do it on a on a budget as well. Yeah. And what what can we get? What can we get for as much as we can get with the budget that we have? In other words, and yeah, that takes a lot of energy. I want to make sure that we have some time to talk about the content of your work as well and, and the iconography and you have a really distinctive palette, I feel like, that like really, if I'm out in the world and I and I see a piece and it doesn't have a tag or I haven't read it yet, I, I feel like I know the colors that you use and that that's a real strong part of your voice. So, and then when we were preparing for this talk and I was looking more extensively at your practice, I also was noticing that you've got a lot more sort of direct graphic imagery use in your printmaking than in your painting. I didn't realize your painting was so abstract and abstracted. So I guess I just would love to maybe first talk about your use of imagery and and your your use of color in your printmaking and then maybe kind of also have a chat of why painting within your artistic practice really is, is, is different, is doing something a bit different. Yeah. Yeah. I asked myself that question too. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's printmaking. I don't know. Uh, it, for me, it has to have an image or very, has to, I think it's because of looking at the Mexican printmakers like Posada and even like, like the more political muralist. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the printmaking part is influenced by me going down to Guanajuato, Mexico. And uh, this was when I was a kid and our truck broke down. Mm. And we spent, we spent like the whole, like two weeks, I believe, two weeks, because they had to repair the truck. And so we're in, we, we go and see all the murals of La, uh, La Granaditas, Granaditas, which is where the Mexican independence started. You know, this is where the, the country started. And it's a fort, and the Spaniards had it enclosed. And there's an Indian named Pipila, and he carries a limestone on his back so that they won't hit him from the top, and he lights the door on fire. Wow. And And that's the beginning of the of the country and that it started with a limestone too. I was like, wow. Then it started. Yeah. And, and of course a part of it, a lot of it is folklore, right? Like, you, right. Know, you know, so inside this place now there's all these murals by Jose Chavez Morado. He's like, everybody knows about Diego Rivera, but very few people know about Jose Chavez Morado and all his murals are depicting these things, you know? And then we went to Diego Rivera's house and I saw all these images and, and I got influenced in that sense of like, oh, this is political, political work, figure words, political work. And then, of course, start studying in the States. Painting is abstract work and it's in Motherwell. And and there was I didn't I didn't see any artists doing that, you know, or at least at the beginning, I wasn't showing artists that were doing that. Yeah. Until probably after undergrad. And then I discovered La Ruptura, which is a movement of Mexican artists that were like saying the hell with Mexican culture. We're doing whatever the hell we want. 
And I was uh. like, wow, I want to do that. I want. <laughs> and, and it was Jose Luis Cuevas, right? Jose Luis Cuevas. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, okay, you're doing whatever the, the hell you want. You don't have to, you don't have to paint about the revolution or being Mexican. And, uh, and so that's why I think the paintings are that way, painting to, to sort of that movement. And printmaking, I relate it more to something that has to be political. And, 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 and not necessarily by, like, it, I, it's really subconscious because I, uh, I don't even think about it. When I go into the print shop, I was like, okay, yes, I'm working with images, and I have images that I recycle and that I've used. And when I paint, I go to the studio at the house. That's okay. I'm working with whatever. It's more about the 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 surface, the color, and the layering, and and what it, and 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 that relationship, tactile relationship, which painting gives me. And I and I still think like print is something that's planographic. It's flat, right? So I think the, I think that's how I can best answer that. You know? Yeah. No. That's that's a really insightful answer and it makes it makes a lot of sense and thinking about those two sides you've got other sides to your practice as well but there's those two that kind of brings it into focus and you know that a lot of the printmaking work for me because it has these really sort of striking I know that the word juxtaposition gets overused in the art world, but I'm, I'm going to, I can't think of a better one right now, but you know, the juxtaposition where you've got the Virgin Mary and the Christ child with hand grenades or the pinata donkey with bullets for ears. And, you know, anytime I'm kind of seeing this sort of powerful uh, weaving in of, of images of violence to, images that aren't inherently so that reads immediately to me as somebody is ha- saying something political here. Someone is making a statement about contemporary society. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense that like print has that, of course that history and then the, the, the history of creating images that really stick with you and kind of hit you with a punch, which, which yours definitely do. Can you speak to maybe then, yeah, the, the imagery that's found in your prints. So the fact that you do, I think sometimes really skillfully weave in. So for instance, like the, the pinata with the, the bullets for ears, (laughs) like if you were just walking by it, you might not, notice what it is then you stop and you look and then like the the little paper mache donkey itself really has quite an alarmed expression when you stop and look at it and so like where where does that come from for you and and what are you hoping people experience when they see your work and they kind of unfurl it a little bit because you could be like oh it's a virgin mary and christ child then you go up and you see it's not a floral print behind it's grenades like they they can be a real like drawing a string i think when you look at them yeah the the grenade flowers that's i'm I'm, that's an image that i use a lot and i use in my drawings and i'm actually current currently silk screening a bunch of drawings with powdered charcoal uh, Mm -hmm. 
using the grenade flower. But uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's about duality, about being at peace and then having violence, and you don't know when that's going to happen. And and that came from uh, there's a flower here that's called uh, they call it the fire wheel, but they but it also is like the they call it the Indian blanket, and I've always. Uh, why do they call it the Indian blanket? You know, and uh, is it because our ancestors are below it, or versus mm. like, okay, you have a flower and there's violence underneath this, you know, the earth. And then you read the history, a little bit of the history of the area, and it's very violent. And then growing up at the border as well, you go to this town, this Mexican town, Progreso, where you can walk across it, right? And there's anything you can find, it's very festive. You can drink on the street. You can find whatever you want. Okay? Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it's like they have a, a a tank in the middle of the street guarding the guarding the the border. You know, so <clears throat> so that particular print came from sort of like when the cartel violence was really really harsh. Mm. I was like, okay, and and when I closed the gallery, really, because it was okay, the party's over. It's right. You know, and it's subtle because you don't know, right? So it's intentional, like to see the bullets, and it's it's another work as as well. I have the tank, right, with the pyramid, and that's something to signify that that this vi- this violence is ancient and that it's never right. away. And then I have the tile. The tile is the daily. It's called daily pattern, which is a tile. You know, again, if you see it, you dismiss it, but it's all bullets. Right. Yeah. And and that was more done like when all these school shootings started happening. I was like, okay, we're getting up in the morning, having breakfast with my kids, and the news is on as school shooting. Like, how do you how do you address that? Mm-hmm. And you sort of become sort of like become numb to it, and it, it's always the same story, the same right. story, the same thing. And so I that was my reaction to it. Oh, it's this doll, violent tile at a kitchen table and that's where that idea came from so so those are some of the images that that you'll see and that that i repeat and then there's the what is it the life token which is the skull that says you you, this is a token for you have one more day to live Mm -hmm. so so it's talking about a little bit of the of death talking about how how to how to deal with with that how to deal with violence because it because it can come at any time. I mean, it's it, 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 every time I my wife works out of school, my kids go mm-hmm. to school. I come to school. I always think, well, this is the place where we could get shot, which is extremely sad. Of of all the places, it's like this should be a place where you feel safe. And yeah. in the back of your mind, you're like, yes, it's safe. It's safe. It's safe. But it's just something that crosses my mind and then and sometimes it it's out in the in, in the artwork particularly i think the 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 grainy flowers you know i think those are they're all most mostly all the time but then the abstract work kind of gives me i'm, I'm thinking more about landscape mm-hmm. and i'm thinking more of people migrating and moving and i have this this other print where there's two skulls kissing and I think about like people leaving their relationships, leaving a relationship behind. That's that's why that print came by, and 
And I think about, okay, you're a professor, you're teaching art, you're teaching printmaking and painting. And like 35 miles from Kingsville, there's people like trying to cross the border and die. Mm -hmm. Like they found mass graves where, you know, trying to identify these people that are, they're crossing the border every day. And so there's that where it's like, okay, like, how do you, how do you deal with that? How do do you even start helping to make that better? Yeah. And for me, the only thing is going to be teaching because that's what I know how to, what to do the best teaching students to, to have a voice, to, to follow a dream if that's what they're dreaming about. As we're talking about this idea of life, which can be, and which often is punctuated by violence. And you're saying there's that serenity and the, the horror of the the suddenness of what can happen and those two sides of, of being alive. It made me also think a bit about your graphite drawings and how the ones that are sort of the, the monotypes and how you wrote how the, the charcoal is the material of carbon residue. And so it's like our oldest way of making art, but it also is the destruction of life. Yeah. <laughs> it's either animal, vegetable, plant, something like that. But so it's it's even I think in in that series, you're you're thinking about this and it, it the end result of which was really beautiful in the documentation. I, I wish I could have seen it in person. But anyway, I think I'm just kind of setting you up in a way that I'd love to hear you speak to that series as well, because that's, I feel like, getting at some of these ideas. But again, in the abstract, in the the praxis of it, not necessarily in the the iconography. Right, yeah. No, the, the, the idea, you know, I always think of the idea. And I always, uh, even if, like, you'd call them abstract, I always think of them as images. Mm. Just like we're trying to make sense of those things. We've just never seen them that way. But, yeah, the idea was to create a sort of, like, an accident, right? You create an accident, but then if you repeat the accident, is it an accident anymore? Mm. So what is that, you know? And, and and then, yeah, you know, this uh, this idea of working with this material, which is, I mean, really, it's just, like, animals it's like they're like our ancestors you know and so uh and that's how that work came about and that work was really early on right after undergrad Mm. i didn't have a studio i had a house you know i was renting a house and i had like a table and so i ordered a bunch of paper and i was like okay i'm gonna do dry works influenced by monotypes and i grabbed a piece of canvas and powdered charcoal and and I just I thrash the 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 canvas on the paper. The paper is gessoed. All the paper is gessoed, and then the powder charcoal is applied. And then I have about I don't know. I mean, it's a continuous. I'm still. Con- I haven't showed this, that series in a long time, but it's continuous. Sometimes I grab some of those drawings and make other drawings on top of those, and so there's about I don't know three four hundred drawings. And I put them in an installation. I was working outside, just working in my yard outside. And that's how that, that series came about. Once I got a studio, I sort of put them away, put the materials away, and they're stored in flat files in my studio. But, I mean, it'd be great to show them again somewhere. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're beautiful pieces. They're almost like clouds in the sky. I feel like when you look at them or a Rorschach test or something where you 
some of them have names where you can really see like El Corazon, like, okay, oh yeah, yeah, that looks like a heart. But even then they're so open to interpretation and there's so much movement in them that they're, yeah, they're, it's really interesting work as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what are you looking forward to? What's on the the horizon? Is there anything you want to shout out before we, we close out for the hour here? Yeah. We're, we're working on Print Austin. Mm-hmm. And yeah, again, we're doing our steamroll event, which is something that I help the organization with. And so that goes into all this planning. And then we've got our, our steamroller, steam annual steamroller print that we do here at the university and in town. Uh, November in November, so we plan we're planning that out, and uh, it's uh, what is it? Last year we got rained on, uh, mm. and then we didn't we hadn't we hadn't done one since COVID, so I think we're we're sort of uh, gearing up to have a full calendar of gallery exhibits and our printmaking event as well. So because it's been, I mean, even though it seems like COVID was a while back, we're still feeling that. Oh, yeah. Those ripples where it's like, oh, like budget and things like that. So slowly trying to get back into full throttle. So, yeah, that's that's what that's what's happening next. And uh, just looking forward to those events. And we're also as a university, we're hosting TASA, which is a Texas organization conference. And uh, yeah, if you go to TASAart.org, there's a call for demonstrations if you're in texas so beautiful excellent well well thank you so much for sharing your story and letting me take an hour of your day it's been absolute pleasure to get to know you more and hear what's behind your work that i've admired for a long time so thank you again oh no thank you very much it's it's an honor thank you so much If you liked today's episode, we have a Patreon, where you can help us keep the lights on and get bonus content, like Shop Talk Shorts, where our editor Timothy Pauschak digs deep on materials, processes, and techniques with past guests. Also, if monetary support isn't in the cards right now, you can leave a review for us on your podcast listening app of choice, or buy something from one of our sponsors and tell them Hello Print Friends sent you. But as always, the very, very best thing you can do to support this podcast is by listening and sharing with your fellow print friends around the world. And that's our show for this week. Join me again next week when I talk to Alexandra, Doug, and Ashley, who all work together on a remarkable 40-foot steamroller printed mural on the east side of Erie, Pennsylvania. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf with editing by Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next week.